Chapter Seventeen of Book One of Les Misérables, Volume Two by Victor Hugo. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Ruth Golding. Les Misérables, Volume Two by Victor Hugo. Translated by Isabel Florence Hapgood. Book First, Waterloo. Chapter Seventeen. Is Waterloo to be considered good? There exists a very respectable liberal school which does not hate Waterloo. We do not belong to it. To us, Waterloo is but the stupefied date of liberty. That such an eagle should emerge from such an egg is certainly unexpected. If one places oneself at the culminating point of view of the question, Waterloo is intentionally a counter-revolutionary victory. It is Europe against France. It is Petersburg, Berlin, and Vienna against Paris. It is the status quo against the initiative. It is the 14th of July, 1789, attacked through the 20th of March, 1815. It is the monarchies clearing the decks in opposition to the indomitable French rioting. The final extinction of that vast people, which had been in eruption for twenty-six years, such was the dream. The solidarity of the Brunswicks, the Nassaus, the Romanovs, the Hohenzollerns, the Habsburgs, with the Bourbons. Waterloo bears divine right on its crupper. It is true that the empire having been despotic, the kingdom by the natural reaction of things was forced to be liberal and that a constitutional order was the unwilling result of Waterloo, to the great regret of the conquerors. It is because revolution cannot really be conquered, and that, being providential and absolutely fatal, it is always cropping up afresh. Before Waterloo, in Bonaparte overthrowing the old thrones, after Waterloo, in Louis the Eighteenth granting and conforming to the Charter, Bonaparte places a postillion on the throne of Naples, and a sergeant on the throne of Sweden, employing inequality to demonstrate equality. Louis the Eighteenth at Saint-Ouen countersigns the Declaration of the Rights of Man. If you wish to gain an idea of what revolution is, call it progress. And if you wish to acquire an idea of the nature of progress, Call it tomorrow. Tomorrow fulfils its work irresistibly, and it is already fulfilling it today. It always reaches its goal strangely. It employs Wellington to make of Foy, who was only a soldier, an orator. Foy falls at Hougoumont and rises again in the tribune. Thus does progress proceed. There is no such thing as a bad tool for that workman. It does not become disconcerted, but adjusts to its divine work the man who has bestridden the Alps, and the good old tottering invalid of Father Elise. It makes use of the gouty man as well as of the conqueror, of the conqueror without, of the gouty man within. Waterloo by cutting short the demolition of European thrones by the sword, 
had no other effect than to cause the revolutionary work to be continued in another direction. The slashers have finished. It was the turn of the thinkers. The century that Waterloo was intended to arrest has pursued its march. That sinister victory was vanquished by liberty. In short, and incontestably, that which triumphed at Waterloo, that which smiled in Wellington's rear, that which brought him all the marshal's staffs of Europe, including, it is said, the staff of a marshal of France, that which joyously trundled the barrows full of bones to erect the knoll of the lion, that which triumphantly inscribed on that pedestal the date June the 18th, 1815, that which encouraged Blücher as he put the flying army to the sword, that which from the heights of the plateau of Mont-Saint-Jean hovered over France as over its prey, was the counter-revolution. It was the counter-revolution which murmured that infamous word, dismemberment. On arriving in Paris, it beheld the crater close at hand, it felt those ashes which scorched its feet, and it changed its mind. It returned to the stammer of a charter. Let us behold in Waterloo only that which is in Waterloo. Of intentional liberty there is none. The counter-revolution was involuntarily liberal, in the same manner as, by a corresponding phenomenon, Napoleon was involuntarily revolutionary. On the 18th of June, 1815, the mounted Robespierre was hurled from his saddle. End of Book First, Chapter 17 Recording by Ruth Golding